Well, this week, church, as I just said, we are continuing in our Understanding the Gospel series. But we are looking at a passage that I initially didn't plan on going through in this series. But since it was just Thanksgiving, and we all probably just celebrated that holiday this past week, and some of us did that here together, because of that, I just thought it would be helpful from God's Word to look not at just the theme of thankfulness in general, although we could have done that, but instead, more specifically, I want us to see in this one main passage in God's word that according to God in his word, it is really fitting, meaning it makes sense and it produces joy in us to deeply think and feel thankfulness to God for the gospel, for the gospel. And really, that then is our one main goal together this morning, to think and feel thankful to God for the gospel. And it's why we're doing it in this series. Because next week, just so you know, we're, we're again going to get dive more into the gospel itself as we're going to see amazingly prophesied in Isaiah 53, actually. And so we will be in Isaiah again next week. But for this morning, we're in Isaiah 12 because this is actually a great chapter to see what God says that our response to the gospel should be. And in fact, to see that, notice with me as we begin how this whole context here in which Isaiah 12 occurs is pretty interesting. It's pretty interesting because that's for the context. So as for this book of Isaiah, you may know this, but it is the most Old Testament quoted book in the New Testament. And it's the book that Jesus himself quotes the most. And it's because the promises of the gospel and salvation are common and they're spread throughout this book. And you can see that, for example, if you quickly, as we begin here, look down at your Bibles at Isaiah 11, actually. Isaiah chapter 11. So look the chapter before what we're covering this morning. And if you look there for a second, Isaiah 11, verses 1 and 2, look what God's word talks about there. Verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so you can see there, that's Jesus prophesied, and that he's going to come, quote, in that day, right, the root of Jesse, or excuse me, in that day, Jesus will come, and he will bear fruit, he will be the branch from which the line of David comes, meaning he's going to be the king from David's line. And then verse 2, he's coming in the spirit of the Lord. And then just so you know, chapter 11 continues explaining what this king will do in his salvation. And a lot of it, though, culminates in verse 10. So stick with me here. Look at verse 10 of chapter 11. In that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And so again, you can see this is Jesus. He's going to come. And now you can see in that day, the root of Jesse, he will stand as a signal for the peoples, meaning Jesus will be a signal, a banner, like a sign for the peoples to look at. All the nations will be able to inquire of him. And then finally, quote, and his resting place should be glorious. Right, so if you're tracking, you're seeing, and I love that last thing because that's not just talking about Jesus as the Savior having a glorious rest, but also the point here in Isaiah is that anyone from all the nations who knows him will have a glorious rest now and forever. Right? Or as Jesus himself said when he came, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Right? And so all that said, if you're tracking, you can, you can see it. This is what I want you to see. In Isaiah 11, it's talking about all of that. And about how, quote, in that day, right? In the day of the gospel, all of that will happen. And it has happened. Which, knowing that context, makes our passage this morning in Isaiah 12 particularly fascinating. Because if you want to think of it this way, Isaiah 11 is mainly a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. Just like Isaiah 53 is going to be a prophecy of the coming of Jesus first next week. But what about Isaiah 12 here? Well, notice Isaiah 12 starts with that very same in that day phrase. But it says, quote, you will say in that day. Do you see that connection? And this is honestly really cool to consider because when we usually think of prophecy, church, we usually think of things that are prophesying about Jesus and Jesus fulfilling those prophecies, right? And of course, that's true. But think of this. Here in Isaiah chapter 12, we have in a way a prophecy that we in Christ fulfill. Do you see that? You will say in that day. Meaning we're fulfilling this now as we are in that day and as the gospel has come and as we are the ones who are saved by the Savior who was promised in Isaiah 11. And therefore, all that said, the question then is, well, what then will we say in that day? Meaning what did God prophesy 2,700 years ago in Isaiah that the response of his people to Jesus and the gospel would be? And that's what we'll be looking at this morning. And you'll see it involves a lot of thankfulness. Thankfulness. And, and thankfulness specifically to God for the gospel itself and how that changes us, church. And so that's what will be this morning, Isaiah 12, which briefly, though, leads us to our outline for how we're going to go through this chapter together. And so as for Isaiah 12, there's pretty clearly two sections to it, verses 1 and 2, and then verses 3 through 6. And so for us this morning, as we're going to go verse by verse here, we're also just going to have two main sections this morning, two sections. And as for what we'll see in them, in both of them, we'll be looking at these verses through that lens of thankfulness. As you can see, that shows up in verse 1 and in verse 4. But in terms of what we'll specifically see in each section, first, we're going to be in verses 1 and 2. And there, we'll be talking about the gospel and our thankful thinking toward God and what that thankful thinking produces in us. Meaning, in our first section, we'll emphasize how in response to what God has done in the gospel, we think a certain way and we should think certain thankful thoughts to God. And we'll talk about how that thinking then produces certain results in our lives. And so we'll do that first. Which in second, though, will lead us to verses 3 through 6. And there, we'll talk about the gospel and our thankful feeling toward God and what that produces in us. And there, as you can tell, it's going to be similar. But there, we'll specifically talking about our emotions, our feelings in response to the gospel. And so it's that simple. That's where we're going, church. First, verses 1 and 2 in the gospel and our thankful thinking. Second, verses 3 through 6 in the gospel and our thankful feeling. All with the goal, once again, of really responding to God and his gospel as it's prophesied of us here. Both for our joy and trust in God and for the glory of God as we're people who are so thankful for what he's done for us. But that's it. Let's just dive in and begin our first section then, church. And here again, we're in verses 1 and 2 only. And we're talking about the gospel and our thankful thinking toward God and what that produces in us. And for these, we're just going to take these verses one at a time. And so let's start in just verse 1. Verse 1. So remember, this is a prophecy 
about what God's people will say once the Savior has come and Jesus has come, church. So what will we say? Verse 1. You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. So you can maybe see why we're talking about thankful thinking toward God here, and I know that might sound like a clunky clunky way of saying it, but basically, church, think about it. In all thanksgiving, thanksgiving for anything, really, like a lot of us thought about this past Thursday, in all thanksgiving and thankfulness, there's always a thinking and a feeling aspect. Thinking thankful and feeling thankful, all because certain things are true. And in basic, that's what we start to see here. And and we especially see that thinking side of it because notice, this verse says that in the day of the gospel, we will say, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for because though you were angry with me, your anger turned away. I thought you might comfort me. And, And that right there is a way of talking about the gospel, right? Because as I hope as we all know by now, as we're in this series, the gospel is that we are each individually sinners. And in response to our sin and sinfulness, God rightly must respond in righteous anger. Just like when we see real wrongs in the world, we're right to feel angry. We must feel angry if we genuinely care. And so it is with God, except we're the ones who are messing up his world and being selfish and not really caring about him. Right? And so God has righteous anger in response to our sin. But in the gospel... What happens is that God then does what's needed to be done by grace alone to satisfy that anger on the cross all because he himself takes our sins from us. And and so he's done that for each of his people individually. And the point in this verse here is that knowing that is a reason why we as Christians should each be personally thankful to God. Because taking this verse, we each can say to God, God, although you were angry with me, and rightly so, yet you have turned your anger away. (laughs) Because believe it, brother or sister in Christ, he has totally turned his anger away from you in Jesus. If you are a Christian, the living God is no longer angry with you. God's anger has totally been removed because of the cross. Or as Paul says in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no, now no condemnation at all for those in Christ Jesus. And so we're thankful for that. But that's not even all that's here in this verse. Because in the gospel, God is not only just not angry and new, or neutral towards you and me, but instead, notice it says in this verse, quote, your anger turned away so that you might comfort me. Comfort me. And basically, we also think that, and we should be thankful for that as well, because finally on this verse, church, think about it. The living God toward you and me now not only doesn't seek to punish us or doesn't seek to deal with us according to what our sins deserve. Instead, he he is our Father who immensely comforts us. And not only that, but Jesus himself comforts us by his Spirit being with us, which is why he, the Holy Spirit, is sometimes even called the Comforter in the Bible. Our God was rightly angry, but now he's so for us and comforts us. And so that's just verse 1. But that leads to and even produces in us verse 2. And so now look there, continuing on verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will be not afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. 
And so it's important to notice that verse 2 obviously comes after verse 1 because verse 1 is the truth of the gospel, right? God was angry. He totally turned that anger away that he might comfort me. We think that. And now, because of that, in verse 2, quote, behold, which is an emphatic word, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. And you can sense how that works. And that's really how our receiving of the gospel at first works, when we first believe in Jesus' church. But that's also how we walk or live by faith. Because think about it. What does it mean when the Bible says, or when we say things like we walk by faith? Or that we're people who continually believe in God? Well, I hope you know it doesn't just mean that we're people who believe that God exists. Instead, in reality, it means this. It means what we see pictured and prophesied even here in Isaiah 12, 1 through 2. It's, it's we're people who know the gospel. We're thankful to God for the gospel. And specifically, we're thankful to God that he's a God like this toward us. We're, we're thankful to the Father for sending his son and loving us so much. We're, we're thankful for Jesus himself, for him deciding to come and die and rise for us. We're thankful to the Spirit for him personally being with us right now. Faith is knowing all that and obviously being thankful for all of that and therefore it's trusting this God of ours because of that. We trust him. That's faith. You can see it. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. Or continuing on in the verse, you can see it. It concludes here. And another way of saying all that is because we trust God for because he's our strength, our song, our salvation. Meaning we trust him because the living God strengthen and help us. We trust him because he's, he's the reason why we can sing in joy, which we're going to talk about in our second section. And again, we trust him because he really is our salvation. He has accomplished what's needed to be done, and so he is so for us right now. One last time, church, you can see it. The passage is saying we know that. We are thankful for that. And so we trust God because of it. So that's verses 1 and 2. And I hope now you can clearly see what I mean by saying that these verses are basically about the gospel and our thinking thankfulness toward God and what it produces in us. Because when you break it down, that is what's going on here. And for you and me, that applies to us very simply in that therefore, if we want to be people who respond more like this to the gospel, if you think about it, we simply just need to do two things, two things more in our life. And these things are simple to talk about, but we really should try to do them, church. Two things. Number one, we should think thoughts recounting the gospel more in our lives. Think thoughts reminding ourselves about the gospel. Like Isaiah prophesies that we'll say here in verse one. And I know that that sounds so basic, but let's be honest. How often in our weeks do you and I really do that? But brothers and sisters, the truth is we should do it a lot. Because telling yourself the gospel or praying to God about his gospel, especially throughout your day, is a hugely simple but profound way to draw closer to the living God. And so we need to think about the gospel more and just tell ourselves the gospel more. And really, let me just say, if, if you're sitting there and that just sounds like something that wouldn't fit into your day or kind of sounds weird, it really isn't. Because... No matter what you're doing, right, or how you're feeling, or whether you're working or in your leisure time, or whether you're sitting on the couch or doing something like exercising or about to go to sleep, whatever you're doing, remembering who God truly is at that moment 
and what he has done for you by grace alone and how he genuinely knows you deeply and loves you more than you can fathom, that always applies to whatever is going on in your life. So that's the first thing to do. Just think about the gospel more. Which then, connected with that, number two, what we need to do is not only think about the gospel more, but to take that to the next step here, we also need to intentionally try to realize how we're thankful for the gospel more. How we're thankful for the gospel. And I know that might sound basic as well, but that's a next step, if you will, because it's one thing to say, Jesus brings sinners like me back to God to remember that. And it's a next step up to saying, God, I am so thankful for that. And so again, those are the two main things I think to take away from these two verses in this first section here. And notice just quickly, I actually don't think that we should read these verses and feel the need to add. And number three, we should trust God more. Because yes, that's true, of course, we should. But specifically, I just want to say it again. Think of the logic here. If you and I want to trust God more, or if we want to not be afraid more, as this verse says, the answer, at least here in Isaiah 12, 1 and 2, is to recount the gospel more and be thankful for our salvation more. Do you see that? And in fact, one last time, that is exactly what verse 2 says. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid because the Lord God is my strength and my song and has become my salvation. And so really, the more you and I draw near to God in our daily lives by remembering the gospel and being thankful for the gospel, the more we just will trust him in our daily lives. And so that's our first section this morning in verses 1 and 2. Which now, moving on, leads us to our second. And here, again, we're going to be in the rest of this short chapter, verses 3 through 6. And now we'll be looking at the gospel and our thankful feeling toward God and what that produces in us, our thankful feeling. And first on this, though, concerning our feelings in general, just from the outset, I do hope that we each know that God does care a lot about your and my feelings. Our feelings. He does. And he cares about them not just in that he cares that we not feel sinful things, like lust or greed, but even more so, he cares about our feelings because God loves us and he's the one who designed us as human beings to have good and proper feelings. And I know we probably say we know that, but the reality is people like you and me in church, we can focus a lot on thinking and believing the right things, or we can especially focus a lot on doing the right things, but then we can kind of underemphasize feelings. But I want you to know, God and his word, he doesn't. God instead wants us to feel also in thankfulness a certain way about the gospel as well. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to read these verses 3 through 6 at once, and then we'll come back and talk about them. And so now look at all of verses 3 through 6. The prophecy here about us in this chapter continues and even ends like this. With joy you will draw well water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So you can probably sense the emotion in those verses and especially what the main emotion of thankfulness is and what it produces in us, in us. But to see it more clearly, let's break these verses down together because these really apply to us. And so first, as for the main thing in these verses that describes our thankful feeling toward God, 
Well, you, you can probably see it. It's the emotion of joy. Joy. Meaning we clearly give joyful thanks to God because of the gospel. Right? We can see that emphasis because joy comes up very importantly in verse 3. With that, with joy you would draw water from the wells of salvation, which we're going to talk about more in a minute. And then it even shows up again in the concluding verse 6 with this shout and sing for joy. And just stopping there for a second, think about it. If thinking thankfulness towards God concerning the gospel is thinking and recalling right thoughts, then just in how we work, it does make sense that thinking or that feeling thankfulness toward God would predominantly be described as having joy. Right? Joy, and that's what we often see throughout the Bible. And now it is true that there's also other emotions we feel. But it does seem that biblically, one of the most honoring and truly thankful feelings we can have when we really believe the gospel and believe the truth that God is so loving towards us and he's for us, obviously is, is joy. Right? It's a certain happiness and gladness in God and in his gospel because of what he's done. And again, the point is overall, that's what we see here in these verses. And though, as I said a second ago, that's particularly what we see in verse 3 of verse 3, which is a fascinating little word picture here in the middle of this chapter, which prophesizes our response to the gospel. So look there again at verse 3, because we're going to spend a couple minutes on this. Remember, verse 3 says this, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And so now for you and me, let's just take a couple minutes to think about this verse, and I want us to think about three things here. Three things. First, just notice how this works. How this all works. Notice, so we're already saved in this chapter, right? That's made clear in verses 1 and 2. Since God is our salvation. And yet, apparently, part of what saved people do is we draw water from the wells of salvation. And now, obviously, that's poetic, but, but what could that mean? Well, you can probably sense the word picture just as, just as good as I can, right? Because thinking of that picture, clearly it means something like, brothers and sisters, we are saved. Our Savior has come. And God is our salvation. But we don't just take a, a sip of that once and say something like, I'm good now, thanks, God. Instead, part of what we do in our response to the gospel is we continue to, to draw water from the wells of this salvation. Right? God is our savior and, and the water of the gospel is so good and therefore we keep going to this well when we need to drink. Which again applies in showing us yet another reason why you and I should really make it a thing where we remind ourselves of the gospel. Right, so that's the first thing on this verse. And second leads to the fact that, and again, we don't just do that though. We don't just continually go to this well. But again, we're explicitly told that we go with joy. Right, with joy. And, and I really want us to get that church because think of the picture, we're already saved, but we keep going back and drinking in the goodness of the gospel. But the reason with joy really matters is because now we know, and we don't do any of this with this, I guess I sort of have to do this for God sort of thinking. Rather, this gives us joy. <laughs> Remember, God cares about our emotions and so he's the one who, who gives us this well of salvation in the gospel where we draw well, water and drink with joy. All right, so that's the second thing on this verse, but that's not even all that's important here in verse 3. Because finally, concerning this verse, and this idea of drinking water from the wells of salvation, what we finally need to know here, church, is that this exact language actually comes up in the New Testament 
and a couple of important times from Jesus himself. And so obviously, hearing from Jesus, our Savior himself, talking about this water and these wells of salvation can shed a lot of light on what this actually means for your and my life. And so stick with me, but there's two places that we're going to talk about from the New Testament where Jesus uses this language. All right, as for the first, you may know this story, but there was a time when Jesus, very intentionally, we're told, he went to a well in Samaria, the very disliked area of Samaria, and he went to a very broken woman and he talked to her about living water and about him, quote, giving that living water to people for, to drink. It's in that context that Jesus says this. This is John four fourteen quote, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So you can hear the connection. Jesus is the one who gives us this water that we drink. And on the one hand, because of it, we are never thirsty in the same way we used to be. But then on the other hand, this water becomes in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so that's the first instance from Jesus in the New Testament. But then second, and perhaps even more specific as to what's going on, is another place, and this now happens in John as well, but this time it happens during one of those Jewish feasts where Jesus at this time is surrounded by a lot of people. And it's in that context that amazingly he stands up and he says something astonishing. This is John 7 and the Bible says this. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then, church, the writer John adds this in the next sentence, quote, Now this Jesus said about the Spirit. Meaning now we know the Spirit himself, specifically, he's the water that Jesus gives us. And so that's Isaiah 12, 3, mentioned a few times in the New Testament. All that said, I bring all of that up because that then means for us, brothers and sisters, that I think taking all of that together can help us see what's actually being described in our response, about our response to the gospel here in verse 3. And what is it? Well, well, taking all of that together, what's really going on is that you and I are people who are saved by our God, by our Savior. And in our salvation, though, we are given this satisfying living water by Jesus. But also we continue to go to him and to this well of salvation to drink. And we do that with joy. And the end goal of all of that is eternal life. But finally, and specifically, we need to know that. And while we're doing all of that, all of that actually is describing the very work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Meaning he's the living water that Jesus gives. And honestly, if all of that, if this drinking water of the wells of salvation from Jesus by the Spirit, if that sounds like some ethereal thing to you, it really isn't. Because knowing that Jesus is the one who gives us this water, and knowing that the water is actually the very Spirit of God, it's actually really cool to think about because that means practically, church, that this drawing water from the wells of salvation with joy, it is not, therefore, just some impersonal thing that you and I are supposed to go do. Rather, if you're tracking, think of it. This is a very relational thing, meaning we have such joy in doing this because the person of Jesus, 
our Savior and friend. He's the one who came and accomplished our salvation. And so in this is implied that we continually go to him. And then we have such joy in doing this because the person of the Spirit, our very comforter, he's with us right now. He's the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. And he's the one who's always enabling us to trust in Jesus at all. And so we continually go to him. Or to say that all back on track with our topic this morning, that all really then is a picture of and part of what it means to not just think thankful, but to feel thankfulness in our hearts. Because true thankfulness is never just saying or thinking thank you. Whether that's to God or to other people, that's never true thankfulness. Rather, when we're thankful, we're joyful. And with God, that means that we're people who continually go to Jesus, knowing that we have the Spirit because of the gospel. And we go and we drink and we drink and we drink our secure and happy salvation in with joy. With joy, we draw water from the wells of salvation. And so we should do that. And so that's just verse 3, though, which then, though, leads us a lot more briefly to those verses 4 through 6, which in a way show us what that joyful, thankful drinking looks like and produces in our lives. And so finally on this passage, let's glance our eyes at those verses. And as we do so, if you look with me, you can see at least three things that that joyful thankfulness produces in our lives. Three things. Number one, notice it makes us people who in verse 4 call upon his name. You can see that call upon his name and that makes sense. We're happy in God and the gospel and so we call upon God more, which certainly includes prayer and so really being thankful to God would mean that we pray to God more. But that's not it because actually even more repeated than that in these verses, as you can see, is something else. And so number two, what else does our joyful thankfulness lead to? Well, church, here in God's word, you can see it. The emphasis here is actually on how it produces singing in us. Singing, or technically proclaiming in verse four, singing praises in verse five, and even shouting and singing in verse six. And now that's pretty important and significant, especially here, because for all of us in here, let's take note, this focus on singing is in Isaiah here, meaning it's not just something that's reserved for the Psalms. And I bring that up because, honestly, from my conversations with people, sometimes people dismiss a lot of the singing emphasis in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, but because they kind of start to think, well, it's in the Psalms, so yeah, that has to do with singing. But that's in the Old Testament. And so they kind of argue, but for me, it doesn't really matter if I personally sing or not, like, like here on Sundays. But I just want to let you know that sort of thinking is not biblical because the Psalms do show us that we should be people who sing. So do New Testament passages. But then even more than that, just think about it this morning. This here in Isaiah 12 is specifically a prophecy of how God's people, how Christians will respond in joy and thanks to the gospel. And in joy and thanks, what is something that we as Christians definitely do according to God's word here? We sing. We sing. We're even technically commanded to sing here. And quickly, that that is just a part of why singing is something we do here on Sundays in our worship services because we each really are commanded as Christians to sing in God's word here and elsewhere. And so we each should really sing as Christians. And now, to be really clear on that though, that does not mean that we need to sound good in our singing or be on pitch in our singing. God's word is very intentional that it never commands that. That would be very different. 
But again, I hope you see, this is how God's people says they will respond with singing because of such a joyful thankfulness to the gospel. And so those are the first two things that this joyful thankfulness produces in us, which then third and finally here leads to the last. And that's finally, as you can see, how our joyful thankfulness just leads us to telling others about this God and his salvation. Telling others about God and his salvation. You can see that, the emphasis in verse four, with that make known his deeds among the peoples. And then of course in verse five with quote, let this be made known in all the earth. And finally, that obviously fits as well because when we really love something, church, and think it's so great and are thankful for it, well, what do we do? Well, we want to share it with others. Right? And so that's what we do with this God and his salvation, all because we are genuinely happy and thankful for what he has done for us in Christ. And so, church, that's basically Isaiah 12. And really, I do hope you're now seeing that in God's word, because of the gospel, we each should be people who think and feel thankfulness to God because of the gospel. Meaning, let's just be so clear. We should be people then who don't just say a generic thank you to God every once in a while, nor should we be people who only or mainly thank God just for his blessings in our lives, like his provision or health or our families or people or our jobs, although we really should be thankful for those things and say that to God. But instead, above all, church, the gospel really is the greatest thing that God has or ever will do for us. And so if you think about thankfulness, that's really what we should think and feel so thankful for, which means... To make this really practical now as we close and really as each of our Thanksgiving season now really gives way to our Christmas season, practically then let's just each as Christians be people who intentionally try to do this more. Let's, let's each be more thoughtfully and emotionally thankful to God for the gospel. And practically then, perhaps you try more and more to make it a thing where you just intentionally throughout your normal days, thank God for the gospel more. Set some timers on your phone. Thank God for the gospel at certain times in your day, when you wake up, whenever you eat, whenever you take a break or do it whenever. All because one last time, this in Isaiah 12 is how God himself prophesied his people respond to Jesus' coming. This is us as Christians. We're people who understand the gospel. We love the gospel. And so let's be people who think and feel thankful to God for his gospel more and more just throughout our daily lives. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. And then church, we really do have the privilege of singing together. Let's pray.